Hello, Graham Norton here. What a Saturday we had here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Let's see what's in store today. Melanie Sykes fills us in on her new memoir, Illuminated Autism and All the Things I've Left Unsaid. Beverly Knight celebrates her new single with us as well as her new album, The Fifth Chapter. Show chef Martha celebrates tomatoes. This time it's Bloody Marys. Woohoo! Uh, but before all of that, Maria McCurlin is ripping open your envelopes and getting your letters so that we can help you with your dilemmas. Morning, Maria. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you're in Ireland land. You're back in the home country, Graham. I've I'm avoided in... going to diddly die. Uh, yeah, well done. I'm in the homeland, uh, ready for Keen to Crow, the voice, the pride of East Cork. We're dragging him to West Cork uh, to do a live gig for us uh, on the radio tomorrow. The voice, That's the voice, the voice. a long journey for him from East to West. Yeah, particularly on a bike, and he's got to bring his keyboard with him. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Oh, Graham, you made me cry this morning with your tribute to Sinead. Because you know that thing when you can hear in someone's voice that they're just about holding it together? I was just about holding it together. (laughs) I know, and that's what set me off. And then you played these sad songs, and I'm very sad too. Everybody is very sad about Sinead. It was, I, and I, it's weird because I was back in Ireland when it happened. Because there's no royal family here, you know, uh, things kind of find their own level of importance. And that death was just huge here. Even, you know, still yesterday, she was on the yeah. front page of every paper. Today, there's all the supplements have kind of, you know, 12-page pullouts uh, about her life and her career and things. It's It's really... Uh, she had an enormous impact on on this country. And I think there's a lot of kind of guilt in a way that people didn't treat her better when she was alive. And and that Catherine Ferguson documentary, I don't know if you've seen it yet, it's no, but it drops today, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's kind of almost spooky, but it drops today, doesn't it, on major platforms? Yeah, and it's brilliant. I will watch it. Of course I will. Yeah, it really is. And I will weep. Yeah. Oh, you Graham, will, you will um, ball. Yes, cheerier news. On what? A, on a cheerier note, not even a cheerier note. Guess what happened to me yesterday? I was scammed. I've made it to this advanced age and not been scammed yet. And I just want, I, I kind of want to do a warning because I spoke to the anti-scammer people and who said, you know, so many people are, are so embarrassed by this, by the fact that they're, you know, clever and older and know what they're doing and yet they get scammed and they don't don't report it, which is kind of insane. But, you know, pride comes before a fall. I mean, this was a perfectly kind of legitimate, as I thought, uh, you know, purchase of, (laughs) don't laugh, it was a little trolley that you take things to the beach in. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, of course it was. Um, and, you know, I put all my details in, bank details and so on. And then it says at the very end, oh, use this code, which we will send you on your phone number. And I did think, oh, wait, I don't think I've sent you my phone. Oh. And so, of course, got onto the bank. And yes, it was a scam. And, uh, you know, it was blocked and so on. But talking to the man who said, you know, I can't believe he said this, but he said, you know, your age and everything. And I went, how dare you? I've never been scammed in my life. And he said, well, I've been scammed, he said, and I'm only 35. Also, because they're very, very clever at, about it. Wasn't, and, what? Wasn't, wasn't the clue to your age you were buying a little trolley to bring things to the beach? <laughs> well, mercifully, he didn't mention that. And in the advertising, the people are in their 20s, Graham, uh, which is what, obviously what did it for me. But so if you do feel feel that you've been scammed or you do feel suspicious about something, I do want to just say, get on to your bank. They are really all over this. I mean, I have to say Joseph at Barclays was brilliant and reassuring, apart from the age thing, uh, and said, please, please tell people that they have to confront it. Otherwise, you know, you go, oh, it might have been a scam. Why not? I'll see if it arrives in four days. Meanwhile, you know, your account gets cleared because he said to me, yes, I've got four attempts to get money from you already within a space of like five minutes. So Wow. And where, where did you find the, the little trolley? Was it, was it, did somebody send you an ad for it or something? Did it show up it on your feed? It was a QVC thing, but it was a QVC... Uh, umbrella that people use to make it seem like it's legitimate and then it's a different company and since then I've had and I I put on Facebook this is a scam don't get involved but then I've had lots of more trolleys being advertised by different companies endlessly different companies at varying prices I mean it wasn't like it was a bargain because obviously as he said if you think you're getting a pair of 110 pound shoes for 15 there's something wrong you know 
there's no such thing as yeah. a bargain, really. So that's the first clue. But it wasn't one of those. I mean, I was, I, I felt foolish. Have you been scammed ever? Well, I don't think so, but maybe. I mean, I've certainly paid for things that never showed up. But I thought that was just me being bad at eBay. <laughs> And it was so long ago. You wouldn't ago. notice if a few noughts went missing from your <laughs> massive bank account. There was that house I don't have anymore. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, someone else seems to have owned it. Oh, and yes. then after that, after him saying, you know, oh, maybe it's your age, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, then trying to backtrack. I keep getting um, adverts for armchair yoga, Graham. This I do too. They look, they look rather good. <laughs> No, but I can do Do you get the, the old man who looks really fit sitting on a chair, lifting his knees? <laughs> I'm tempted to try it. Do you not find it insulting because you you are still able to cycle and stand up and do yoga and stand on one leg? Yeah, but I don't That's look as good as the man in the chair. So, you, you know, you know, there's hope. There's, it's aspirational, I feel. So the vanity basically makes you want to do armchair yoga so you can look like the man in the armchair. Well, also, it's like they know it's me because the man in the chair has a grey beard and grey hair. So I'm like, oh, wow. It's AI, Graham. They it's have matched me. you to the man in the chair. <laughs> Uh, Maria McGurlin, uh right, go sit in the chair. Virgin Radio. Okay, letter number one, please. Yes, dear Graham and Maria, I work at a mid-sized technology company that has recently implemented an advanced artificial intelligence system to handle employee promotions. The AI system is designed to be unbiased and data-driven using various performance metrics, skill assessments and feedback to determine promotions. The company has praised the system for its objectivity and efficiency in promoting employees. I've been working diligently for the past two years and believe I deserve a promotion. I consistently meet and exceed my performance targets as an accountant and my colleagues recognise my hard work and dedication. However, despite my exemplary performance, the AI system overlooked me for a promotion this time. My boss, who has the authority to override the AI system decision, called me in for a private meeting to explain the situation. They informed me that while they personally believe I deserve the promotion, they are facing a difficult decision. Due to cost-cutting measures and economic uncertainties, the company's senior leadership has issued a strict directive to follow the AI system's recommendations, without any exceptions, as they believe it will ensure fair and consistent promotions throughout the organisation. Where do I go from here? And that is from Toby in Watford. Oh, Toby in Watford, this is a challenging one for Graham and for me because we don't know very much about AI. I would say, listen, AI has to be programmed. It has to be programmed with your performances and so on and so forth. It has clearly been uh, programmed to avoid promotions because cost-cutting, economic uncertainties, etc., um, so, you know, they don't want to promote people and they can blame AI for not promoting. I mean, who has been promoted under this new system? Uh, it's really difficult because they have decided to adopt this approach in your company, which you love and you've been working diligently for the past two years. And yet it is working against you. And as you say, your boss has the authority to override it. But the company policy, etc. It sounds like a win-win for the company and a lose-lose for Toby in Watford, if you know what I mean. I I absolutely don't know what to advise Toby in Watford other than, you know, either leave and go to another company that doesn't use this system. Although you know we are moving into an, a time when a lot of people will be. Or do you just suck it up? Or do you say I want to challenge? Um, you know, the AI decision that I don't get a promotion. Uh, you know, when do you next go up for a promotion? Can you wait that long? I'm not sure. You don't tell us, Toby Watford. It's a horrible situation. Graham, what do you think? Well, it suddenly reveals why companies would use AI because it's such yeah, a kind exactly. of... It's such a cop-out, isn't it? It's so... Kind of, it, it really reminds me, you know, computer says no. You know, because it's... <laughs> uh, because, well, yes. you know, I'd love to give you a promotion, but sadly, uh, the computer says no. Uh, because it's, it's just... It, it's horrible. And they've obviously 
obviously kind of in the the algorithm or whatever they put in the AI, they've set the bar sort of ridiculously high. Um, unless, Toby, did other people do better than you? I mean, you might be exceeding your targets, but are people, other people exceeding their targets even more and they got promoted ahead of you? You know, we don't know those things, but I think ultimately you're working for a pretty, uh, I don't not, not a great company, I would say, in that this is, it's so, it's just mean. That this is such a cop out for them that they get to blame yeah. some stupid, you know, AI thing for not paying you more and not treating you better. So I would say, you know, have a bit of self respect and uh, get out. I say, you know, Toby says yes and and get out of there and go to a company it's so difficult, where though, you are because valued. He's been working Graham for two years at this company and he's really worked hard and put his soul into this. Um, so, you know, clearly he doesn't want to waste that two years that he's done. And will the next... I wish, Toby, you'd have told us about other people's promotions because that would have been some sort of gauge. But unless you get... Can you wait? Is it a six-monthly analysis of your performance? Is it a yearly... Unless also, you get a promotion next... Yes, uh, unless unless two, uh, two years might be long enough for the AI thing to kind of confidently predict how well you're going to work in the future or something. Who knows? Or I just think it's a really kind of shoddy way to be treated, to be just mm. fed into a computer and said, well, you know, we think you're great, but uh, yeah. So I... I I'm kind just... of invested in this, Graham. I'm invested in it. I want to know what happens, Toby and Watford. Will you let us know? Once the Virgin Radio listeners have told us their opinion. Now, my favourite responders today will be getting, will you hear this? Waitrose, Sicilian lemon and mascarpone rolls. This... Crisp shoe pastries filled with mascarpone topped with lemon and white Belgian chocolate fondant and hand finished with sugar dusting. Shut up. Get out of here. How delicious they sound. Gorgeous. Anyway, Richard in Wells says, Your manager is being disingenuous by blaming AI. Everything is blamed on AI. Escalate to your manager's boss to get his feedback. Then you'll have more facts and can make an informed decision. James in Enfield my advice to Toby and Watford is to get out of that ridiculous company as soon as he can. He is clearly a hard-working and diligent worker. His boss needs to stand up and be counted on his behalf if they believe him to be worthy of promotion. What a weakling. Go somewhere where humans will respect his efforts. He will look back and laugh at this story uh, when he finds the right place to work. I hope you're right, James. Scott and Scotland. Uh, AI is only subjective based on numbers and targets and does not show all of the other attributes that make someone worthy of promotion. Leadership, team working, positive impact, etc. You need to fight for your promotion while planning to leave. Back yourself and contact senior management with the reasons why you should be promoted uh, uh, outside of the metrics of the AI. But be prepared to leave if you don't get what you want. Ultimately, if AI is choosing promotions, then your company doesn't care about the people. Uh, Rod in Swindon says, I'm afraid Toby might not be as good as Toby thinks. Ooh, I felt sure I'd win the lottery this week, but the ticket machine said no. Oh, Rod in Swindon. Accept the change, Toby. AI is here to stay or move to another job, but they'll soon have AI too, even if they don't know. Rod's really feeling it deeply. And uh, Rene in Malvern says, uh, have you not seen Black Mirror? Leave immediately. Run for the hills. Uh, thanks for all your advice. I'm going to give the delicious uh, Waitrose Sicilian lemon and mascarpone profiteroles to James in Enfield. That's what I would say. Yes, James in Enfield. Graham's Guide. Mm, number two. Okay, dear Graham and Maria, August 2024 will be the first wedding in our family. It's my eldest daughter's wedding, my baby girl. Four years ago, we lost her younger brother and my youngest son, age 22. So the wedding is going to be a very emotional event. I'm already in bits when I think about it. However, there are some emotional hurdles to get over along the way. Next Saturday, my daughter and I are going bridal gown shopping. I know both of us will be wondering what her brother would think as he was quite unusual and always complimented. He had always had thoughts on looking your best and wanted people to feel good. I would like help with how I might hold back the floods of tears, both at the wedding and while bridal gown shopping. Also from any other mothers of the brides, how not to f put my foot in it when I am asked what I think about a dress. She clearly wants my opinion, or does she? 
Please help me say the right thing at the right time. And that is from Lizzie in Hexham. Lizzie in Hexham, I'm guessing you mean August 2023. I think that might be a typo, which is shortly um first of all i'm so sorry to hear about your son at 22 it's a terrible painful loss and i'm gonna say to you lizzie look we've we've passed the times when when the british used to deal with funerals and other emotional situations with valium and uh sleeping pills etc we are in a time you know i just want to say to you allow yourself to cry lizzie i mean it's human. I think putting so much pressure on yourself, you're getting into a right lather about, please help me say the right thing at the right time. You, This is going to be difficult, whatever you do, however you are, whatever tablets you take, beta blockers or whatever. So I would just say everyone knows this is going to be emotional. Your daughter knows it's going to be emotional. All the family know. Just give yourself permission uh, because... I, yes, of course, when you do the bridal shopping, it's going to be hard. Maybe that's the time, you know, allow yourself to cry. And maybe once you get over it with and have a good cry with your daughter when you're bridal gown shopping, you will, you know, I think trying to hold it together during a wedding when you're feeling so wretched and remembering your son, etc., is going to be more of a stress. It's already going to be a stressful day. And it's just so if you allow yourself, if you give yourself permission to cry, it's a bit like I was saying to Graham this morning when I heard his voice crack. It's emotional for everyone when you hear that and everyone will be feeling your pain and knowing. Otherwise, you're kind of airbrushing him out if you just sail through without mentioning and without crying or without feeling upset. You can't airbrush him away. He he is part of your family still. He's not with us any longer, but you're all thinking about him. So just give yourself a break, Lizzie. I feel for you. I really do. But give yourself a break and, and let the emotion be. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Graham? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's going to be an emotional day, whatever. Emotions are very heightened on on any wedding day. I would just, all I would say to you, Lizzie, is make sure your daughter knows that some of those tears are happy tears for her. Yes. Um, because I think you don't want, you don't want her brother to kind of overshadow her day. It is her day. And yes, the memory of her brother is going to be present on that day and everyone wants that memory uh, to be present on the day. But make sure that when you're crying, you're smiling because it is a lovely day. It's a very happy day. It's bittersweet because he's not there to share in it and it's bittersweet because he will never have a wedding. But but make sure you're oh, celebrating her. Well, it's true. I just I think it just yeah, make I sure know, you're smiling when you cry. I know, all the do you know, I, I think there'll be a lot of listeners that have probably um, gone through this, Graham, themselves. And, you know, it's if you try and make yourself behave in one way, the brain has a, a sort of strange ability to completely override that. So I think struggling to contain yourself is... Um, just a one-way hiding to nowhere. And also, Graham is right. You, Your daughter will know that they're happy tears too. Uh, it's one of those things, like you say, it's a bittersweet situation. You want him to be there, but you're happy for your daughter to be married. I, it really, it breaks my heart, frankly. Absolutely. But the great thing, Lizzie, is you're going in kind of forewarned, if you know what I mean. It's not like yeah. you're going to be... Because bo- I think that's the worst thing, when you're booby-trapped by your emotions, where you'd think you're going to be fine, and then suddenly... Oh no, I'm not fine. This is going to be terrible. So, uh, and the other thing is, when you're shopping for the dress, just tell her she looks beautiful, uh, unless there's something really bad going on at the back of it. Then maybe mention that to her. But, uh, <laughs> at the back of it. <laughs> also, you know I mean? that thing of, you know, when you, you're booby trapped by your emotions and you think to yourself, oh no, uh, and trying to contain it makes it worse. If you think to yourself, oh no, just let the tear slip, just let your voice crack, just let your lip tremble, because. I know what you feel, Lizzie and Hexham. You feel if you start crying, you will never stop. But you will, because you know that there's a day to get through and you're happy for your daughter. Don't feel that you're going to go out of control. I really feel that you won't go out of control, but you will be human and showing emotions is not a bad thing. Absolutely. And as you say, Maria, I think a lot of people will have had to deal with things like this because, Mm. you know, weddings throw up 
all sorts of emotions and you look around the room and you see who isn't there and all those sorts of things. So uh, hopefully some people have good advice for Lizzie from Hexman. The responses, part two. And my favourite responders will be getting that lovely box of Waitrose Sicilian Lemon and Mascarpone Profiteroles. Mmm, delicious. Lawrence again says, as a vicar, I really sympathise with the lady who's worried about her daughter's wedding. She shouldn't feel alone. Everyone will be thinking about her son and will miss him deeply. She could speak to her daughter about setting aside a specific moment where her son is remembered. This could be during the prayers, if it's a church wedding, or asking the celebrant to hold a moment of quiet for friends and loved ones who are no longer with us. Equally, this could be during the speeches, when someone raises a toast. If she knows a specific moment is set aside for her son, it might just carry her through the rest of the day. And Lawrence, that's a great idea, because... It kind of focuses it, you know, in in that moment. If you raise a toast to uh, the sun, then, you know, Lizzie can sob her eyes out and and maybe it'll help her get through the rest of the day and focus it there. Well done. Uh, Carla Wood from Bergwallis says, My daughter, who would now be 31, Chloe died 13 years ago. Yes, I have occasions when the grief comes overwhelmingly from nowhere. I cry for 10 minutes and immediately feel better and warm because I think of a positive, funny moment. Your listener may find writing a weekly weekly, uh, happy photo and a positive message, whether she shares to her family group or just does it to herself. I started to do this 10 years ago. It gives comfort and warmth to my family and friends. It makes me smile again. Chloe is no longer the elephant in the room and tell your listener she will be okay. Thank you very much uh, for sharing that, Carla, and I'm very sorry for your loss. Sophie in Surrey says, My beloved dad died during the night whilst I was at the hotel for my best friend's wedding the next day in another part of the country and I hadn't seen him for months. As she walked back down the aisle, we looked at each other and I just shook my head as silent tears trickled down my cheeks. It's bonded us ever since and despite my grief, I can never forget her wedding anniversary. And uh, Fleur just says, forget about not crying, buy waterproof makeup. Also, look at your daughter's face when she tries on dresses. You'll be able to tell when she wants you to like one. Only say anything if it looks genuinely horrendous. Uh, thank you so much for all those uh, lovely comments. I'm going to give the profiteroles to uh, Carla. Carla in Bergwallis. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Welcome to the show, Melanie Sykes. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so nice to see you. Well, lovely to see you. Isn't technology marvellous? I know. Uh, (laughs) So this book, so the book was in the planning and then you got your diagnosis uh, diagnosis of... Yeah, the book came after my diagnosis. Oh, I thought I thought you'd been planning to do your memoir already. No, and, and... yeah, but it, I mean, it's fine. There's, look, I mean, it is what it is. But I'd I'd been asked to do a memoir over various decades and kept thinking, well, I've got nothing to say, or if I say too much, it'll be dangerous for me. And then I got to fifty and thought, I actually don't really care, and I've got a lot to say. Yeah, and a lot of experiences, and although it says all the things I haven't said, of course course since I've written it and the year that I've evolved past it there's a I've found and remembered a million other things and it's not like I'm going to write all those down but they are gems of information for my personal healing and understanding and and also it helps me spread the message that the book is so yeah what, did you enjoy it? No, it's, I mean, honestly, I knew some, you know, I thought I kind of knew your story, but there's so much of it I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly kind of, I love those early chapters about your childhood and stuff. And I love that the the, the diagno- diagnosis of autism, it, it, it informed you about your life. But yeah. I love that then you were able to go back and kind of go, oh, wait a minute, my dad was yeah. probably autistic. Yeah. Yeah, and and all the wisdom that comes from that. And obviously I have a son who is autistic and obviously I'd known he was autistic for 13 years before I got my diagnosis, probably longer, my maths is awful. But um, it all just made sense because it just, it all 
clicks into place. And the thing is, it's such a beautiful diagnosis in that it basically, as just pure autism as it's, it is, it's just a, a different wiring of the brain. And it's such an amazing thing um, because it means you're a deep thinker, essentially, that you're in pursuit of the truth at all times. You don't see hierarchy, so people are just equal. And you're hypersensitive to everything, music, sounds, energy, actual other humans' energies. And also you're highly empathetic as well, which can be really painful at times. You know, because I, I was fascinated, there's a bit in the book where you talk about uh, auditioning for live TV and how you couldn't deal with the, the earpieces. Yes. Even. So I would fail at auditions all the time and I think people would think, how come she's been on telly for all these years and she can't do these basic things? But as I say in the book, when I was working with Des, it was brilliant because he didn't want an earpiece because he had one ear that was really good for listening to the guests and the other <laughs> ear wasn't so good. And if he'd have blocked one of them, he would have gone down. So I had to go work on his thing and I suddenly thought, oh, I like it like this. is a freedom to be able to be present, to listen to the guest and to be able to respond accordingly and I'm not saying I was brilliant at interviewing although I think that that's something because I'm interested in people it just comes with the territory of that because I I had all sorts of other sensitivities going on as well as trying to conduct conversations but his way of being was perfect for me so I did that for years. So when I went back into the fray of live TV for real which means earpieces yeah I, I would go down you know, sort of thing, and fake it. And I, so I love that, that all these things that must have not made sense at the time now make sense. Well, it didn't, you... make, it didn't make sense to me because everybody else seemingly was fine. So I kept thinking, well, why is it that everybody else can do that and I struggle with it? But I didn't beat myself up about it. Well, I probably did a bit, but because um, I'm not really one for comparing myself to others either. I'm quite an independent spirit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And writing the book, because I always think, you know, you, you live all this stuff and it all it's all happened to you, whether it's been good, bad, traumatic, joyful, whatever yes. it was. Um, were there things, I've been particularly thinking about relationships and things, where you looked back and kind of thought, oh, wait a minute, now that I'm looking at these relationships through the lens of this diagnosis... Do those relationships now make sense well, to you? Well, do you know what's really interesting about that? I don't know if me being autistic impacted my relationships as such. It probably did in some ways because, uh, you know, if you're in pursuit of the truth and you speak the truth, people don't really like it. <laughs> but I think it's more. it was more about I didn't have a sense of self. And I was discussing this with a friend the other day because in, me in relation to men, I used to try and fit into what they wanted and what they liked to look and feel like the perfect person to be with. I would morph myself into anything that uh, a fit that I wanted, I thought I wanted. And of course, when you change yourself to fit a relationship, the relationship is farcical and not real anyway. And I appreciate that now. So I feel like my my understanding myself and having a sense of self-worth now makes me not want to find and look for things that don't work for me. I only work for my own health now. Nobody else's. And it seems like you... In relationship terms. Sorry, I just have to say that. I don't mean humanity at large, because I love everybody. (laughs) I love the world, me. I do. (laughs) Um, But... It seems like you've got to a place where you have no regrets. You kind of, you see that everything that's happened in your life has got to where you are now. Yes. Was that Don't you, all... Can I ask you a question? Don't you feel like that oh, about no, I, your stuff? I absolutely do. Because, yes. you know, I, I think, and also, I think if you get to, you know, uh, you know a, a certain age and there's no kind of knocks on the bodywork or scars on the heart. What have you been doing? Exactly. You know, yeah. Exactly. It's so true. Can and I just I, say, I've been oh, reading yeah. your book this week. Oh, no. Yes, you're, and I just think you're, you understand emotional intelligence and there was passages in the book where you just understand what humans say and why they say them and, and, and that soup that that is and the impacts of all of those things on other humans and it's like spreading stuff and I just find you writing a real ride. So thank you 
Jackie so much. I haven't finished it yet, so I, I, I might not still have the same opinion at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much, because I know you're a huge reader. You oh, read massive, lots. massive. So, and so I thought, well, I'm so right. well, if I'm going to be interviewed by an author, I better know what that author puts out. Do you know what wow. I mean? Yeah, oh, well, of course. that's so kind of you. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, well, I am in the middle of it. It's, it's, it's really clever and good. Thank you. Thank you so much. But getting back to your book, yes. Illuminated, out now. Um, <laughs> thank you for doing all that for me. <laughs> Uh, illuminated out of back now. Did that that idea of no regrets and being grateful for everything's happened to you? Did that come through writing the book, or was that your mindset anyway? I'd started to morph into a bit more of a spiritual person and understanding myself when I went when I got sober, first and foremost. So sobriety was the first door that opened into the magic that is actually life. And but it was a slow burn. Um, because getting sober is a slow burn. And uh, and then I found meditation through sobriety. And then I went to India through both of those things and found yeah. myself at home spiritually. And so it's, a, it's when you get sober, that's where enlightenment begins. And that, I guess, was the doors that just kept opening to the diagnosis. Yeah. Because I'm willing to change. I'm open to change. I look at myself and I can... I don't blame anybody for anything that's happened to me. I actually send people love because they're sort of damaged too because of their experiences. We're all victims of something. We're all carrying wounds. But for some reason, I think it's because I have faith that I, every now and again, even in the darkest hour, I've been able to tap into some truth about me, not anybody else, about me. And I've managed to make the change that took me to a higher level. And we're all capable of doing that. And one of the things that struck me when you say, you know, dark places, you you present this incredibly positive, whenever I see you, you're, you know, there's a big smile and your voice is up and you've got energy and da 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 And then reading the book, there's some, I mean, just awful bits where you just think, I don't know how this woman's got through this. <laughs> because um, I laugh at everything as well. Like, my instinct is to laugh. I love to laugh. I've worked with loads of comedi comedians and that's not by chance. That has been by design. You know, and and I love to laugh and certainly laugh at myself and life. Um, but yes, there's been times where I've pretended I'm okay. I've actually not even realised I've been pretended. I've been so coerced into being a certain way that I didn't even have any perspective on what that is. Uh, but I found myself now, and and everything's really good. And I'm still that person that laughs. Hard yeah. and loud because I love being joyful. But I, <laughs> but but yeah, last week I, I don't even know if I said this on it on any show or anything. But like last week I was so um, under under fire that I was in a ball. But I got myself off the floor. Well, with the help of my new puppy who jumped on me. But puppy, like puppy love, puppy love. <laughs> he's. I mean, he's the reason I got him. I got him almost as a support dog for me for my new way of being, which is raw and real which is so sensitive to yeah. everybody and everything. And people say so many atrocious things to me without even realising a lot of the time. But I have grace. And I think, how can I cope with all of that? And I thought a pooch would be a really good idea and he really has, has been an amazing addition to my life. I'm so glad you're here because there's a lady called Malika in Chesterfield and she gets in touch with us nearly every weekend and shares bits about her life and tells yes. us like... But because you're here, uh, she shared with us that she too was diagnosed later into adulthood. She was 36, now 43. Yes. And she just wanted to say thank you to you for being so open about your experience of autism and the support it provides for the thousands of women with autism. So there you go. Okay, Thanks. amazing. That's so amazing. But it is interesting the terminology that you use because everybody keeps saying that, you know, you, you have autism, but you, are, you don't have it, you are it. It is a wiring of the brain. It's not a disease and it's not a disorder.
alongside the pure autism are lots of different types of conditions that go along with it where the pain may come but having an autistic mind itself isn't a painful thing what the it's the resistance between that brain and the and the world that we live in yeah. And it's how many, at odds. And because you've done a kind of deep dive into this, how many th people do you think are kind of walking around... Who are neurodivergent? Who are, so many people. So uh, many people. Is My, it one of those things like all of us are? Is that, is it, no, is it, I, no, but there is neurodiversity, so that's everybody's different, but then there's neurodivergent people who, who think a certain way, which is like I described it at the beginning of this. Yeah. Um, but but, but the, the different conditions, there's a, there's a massive load of different conditions and I see neurodivergent people all the time and my therapist calls it my autidar. They have, you know, a radar for seeing it yeah. and hearing it and understanding, but not everybody, but a lot of people. So it's, it's, it's wonderful because we're all starting to say, oh, gosh, right, we're allowed to be, we're allowed to say, we're allowed to feel, it's all right. Yeah. You know, not getting your box or you don't do it this way, therefore you don't count. It's nonsense, isn't it? And for you, you know, you, one, of the, one of the things you say is this idea of telling the truth. And the book is, is so honest. And I was struck because you're a mom. So, uh, you know, have the boys read the book? Well, no, Roman's not read it. He's got a copy of it, but he's been, you know, he's got his life. He don't want to be reading about me anyway, you know what I mean? He's 21. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's just graduated from university and he's he's having a life and, he, you know, and, and I think he'll read it when he's ready to read it and that'll be good enough for me. And Tino really isn't interested at all. <laughs> but it, it's fine, do you know what I mean? And also, I think I've been kind to people in there. I think I've been respectful to people, even though they haven't respected me and if you can't see that then you're looking at it with some eyes that aren't mine you know yeah it's funny how people don't see that no <laughs> oh yeah but, but that's you know, a reflection people, of themselves it though. really is isn't it yes. you gotta go wait a minute i have i have painted you with such rose oh glasses. yeah i got annihilated <laughs> by somebody and i thought oh my god that's me being kind <laughs> i'm really glad i didn't write what i thought there but this legal gets involved with that as well do you know what i mean you're not allowed yeah. to say certain things i wish i could talk about the legal on the book but i just don't want to get into trouble because i get into trouble every time i open my mouth anyway at the moment <laughs> But, but it is just extraordinary how people receive the information that you give. You know that. You write books. You know, it yeah, is yeah. interesting. It's all about how they receive the information sometimes. Yeah, but you've done a, a wonderful job, Melanie. It really is. It's, it's, it's all out there. And, you, you know, and also... It's just a, it's a life worth telling because you have been through it. I uh, have. I feel, I feel like that, yeah, yeah. I feel like that and I feel well, like... Well, you're it, still smiling. You're oh, still yeah. smiling. And it's and helping people, Graham, as well. It's helping people see yeah. themselves. And I tell you yeah. what, that is gold dust for me. Uh, and uh, that's part of the reason I wrote it. Half well, the reason. Called, it's called Illuminated, Autism and All the Things I've Left Unsaid. It's out in hardback now. Uh, Melanie Sykes, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. It's been it's lovely, so good to lovely see to talk to you. Good luck oh, with everything. Take care. Bye and bye. you. Thank and you. you. Still to come, Beverly Knight joins me to talk about her new single and new album. But first, ding, ding. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Do you have a nice holiday? Oh, I had a lovely time. It was my best friend's wedding. So it was bridesmaiding, had high responsibility levels, but all went well. <laughs> Was it last Saturday? Last Saturday, yeah. Okay. I was at a wedding last Saturday. Oh. <laughs> did, did the bride have an umbrella? <laughs> she did. We all had several umbrellas. <laughs> it was a little bit soggy, but, you know, didn't dampen the mood. Exactly. <laughs> Joy and love will triumph and it's all lovely and wet knot and all that sort of stuff. Uh, tomatoes. Tomatoes are your passion, Martha. Uh, now, this is exciting, though, because I did kind of think Martha's celebrating tomatoes, whatevs. But, uh, ooh, you found a lovely way to celebrate tomatoes. Uh, what are you making for us today? Oh, I have indeed. I love tomatoes. Just there's something about the smell and the taste. They're just, for me, I prefer a tomato to even a strawberry. These are my, like, champion okay. of the summer kind of fruit slash vegetable don't really know which way we're going to go with that but today we are celebrating bloody mary's a round of applause of course i'm not in the building uh, is that is is that why you're you, <laughs> did the management kind of go never serve him a cocktail it's like feeding a gremlin after midnight uh, the management thought we'd like those yeah. bloody mary's please <laughs>
Uh, now, this is one of your, your best ever in the world recipes. So, uh, what a lovely thing. Did you taste many, many Bloody Marys to get uh, to this? It was, it was a big week. <laughs> it was probably about three months ago. I remember it, I remember it well. The, the, the fridge was heaving with tomato juice. <laughs> and every day I was trying a different one. <laughs> but no, it was good. It was very interesting to find out what different people like to season it with. And also, I've come up, I've made you three. Well, I've made three that I will distribute around the studio. <laughs> um, uh, three different ones? Three different ones, yeah. So three different variations so that you have your classic one, but then two kind of little spins on the classic. Oh, OK. Because I mean, when I worked in restaurants, you know, the bartenders in restaurants always had to have their own Bloody Mary thing. You know, so some people put horseradish in, some people put sherry in. Mm. Uh, how how off-piste have you gone? We've gone quite classic for the, for the regular, because I think if you're expecting the best Bloody Mary, you want it to be what, what you're expecting, I guess. You want it to be the classic. But the other yeah. two are a little more rogue. And, I mean, it is interesting. I can't think of another cocktail that is so time-of-day specific. It's just, it's... You know, it's brunch for me. Like, I would I would never sit down for dinner and kind of go, oh, I'll have yes. a Bloody Mary, please. It's always kind of half 12. It's after the show on a Sunday. That's when I go, oh, Bloody Mary, that'd be lovely. Yeah. It's perfect. But yeah, it's definitely not a night out cocktail, is it? You'd look a bit strange ordering that in your bar. I think so. Should we start with the classic? Three in a row. Yeah, we'll start with the classic. Um, so, starting off with tomato juice. Now, you can make your own tomato juice, but realistically, Whatever. if you're having brunch, <laughs> no one's getting the juicer out to do its juiced tomatoes before brunch. <laughs> it's not worth the washing up, guys. It's not worth it. <laughs> you can buy great tomato juice in Waitrose in a bottle, keep it in the fridge, and then you will be five minutes away from a Bloody Mary rather than half an hour. So, yeah. tomato juice. That is going into a large jug and we are adding in half a ju the juice of half a lemon and then some celery salt. This is just salt which is infused with celery powder and it just has a really mm -hmm. lovely savouriness and saltiness. So that goes in and then we want some ground black pepper. You want the powdered kind here. You don't want the cracked black pepper because that will <laughs> could potentially cause people to choke. So, always go for the powdered in this case good. Yes. that goes into your jug and now the secret as i was researching bloody mary's is never shaken always stirred so these are one of those cocktails if you shake it up with ice you're going to get kind of the tomato will start to separate a little bit and it become very foamy which is not what we're looking for so you want to give it a very okay. vigorous stir with one of those long spoons if you've got one which is quite oh, fun yes. yeah the posh one yeah a vigorous stir then we are taking our lovely little glasses fill them up with ice then we take a little measure of vodka that goes into the bottom of each one then we're topping it up with our tomato mixture and then it's time to season them to taste so you're taking Worcestershire sauce and some Tabasco and season it to how you like it so even I would put these on the table maybe for your guests so they can season as they like some people love it really kind of salty and spicy and some people prefer a little bit more mild so leave it up to your guests to choose and then I've made these little garnishes um, which are like a, an olive and a piece of lemon and a little chilli pepper on a cocktail stick which just look really pretty on the top it does look very beautiful. You've kindly sent me a photograph. Thank you very much. Uh, where do you stand on the rimming of the glass? Because I like a bit of celery salt on the rim of oh, the glass. Oh, well, Graham, that's the next one. Oh! <laughs> You've oh, set that oh, up I've perfectly. Spoiled it. I've spoiled it. OK, next one. Here, off we go. <laughs> so the next one is a Bloody Mary margarita. So we're swapping our vodka for tequila instead, which has got, obviously, that those classic flavours of margarita. You can swap the lemon juice for a little bit of lime, and then we're adding a celery salt rim to the glass. So it just reminds you, takes you to those warmer climbs and a little little Bloody Mary margarita for you. That's a lovely idea. I like the idea of tequila in my Bloody Mary. Mm. I might try that. Uh, and our third uh, variant? And the final one, this is um, a Japanese-style Bloody Mary. So, what? I know, so this is a little bit more left-wing. <laughs> We're going right out far-fetched on this one, but it tastes great and it's got such an interesting flavour profile that will hopefully go down very well with whoever you make it for. So instead of vodka, we're using sake Japanese wine. So you yeah. take a shot of that, goes into the bottom of the glass, and then instead of the Tabasco and the Worcestershire sauce, we are using a bit of ponzu, which is this lovely citrusy um, rice wine that goes in, and some soy sauce for the saltiness instead of the celery salt, and finally, a little bit of wasabi to give you that heat. Mix it really well. And then that goes over the top of your sake. And it's got this really, yeah, just really interesting flavour. Really mixes it up. Um, I love that idea. I mean, did you come up with that? Is that you? You just thought, well, I'm going to go fully Japanese on my Bloody Mary. Well, I tried a few different variations and I looked at it. I reckon people, well, you can never claim ownership over these things. Someone will have done it. It will be on a menu in a bar somewhere. But I recommend it. It's a good one. 
That sounds delicious. If you'd like those recipes, uh, you can head to waitress.com slash showchef and uh, you'll find those recipes. And indeed, all the recipes are prepared by Martha. You could also check out the visuals on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. It's time to meet my second guest of the day. Uh, just one of the greatest voices in British music. She's a survivor, but not just surviving. She is three. Driving. So many new things to talk about. It's time to welcome Beverly Knight to the show. Hello, Beverly Knight. Hello, Graham Norton. How are you? I'm really, really well. Uh, congratulations. Uh, another album on the way, the fifth chapter. It's out <laughs> on the 29th of September. The single is out now. Um, I, when it comes to albums, how mm. do you kind of, in your head, kind of think, yes, it is time for Beverly Knight to do a new album? Because you are, you are very busy. You're constantly working. You're constantly touring, yeah. doing shows. Da, da, da. When do you kind of go, right, now? Well, to be honest, um, for me, right now was before the pandemic. I was so ready to to get an album out. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, I'm not going to drop anything now because um, everybody's stuck in their house and I need to think about where I go after this. I was meant to go into a, a theatre show um, and that just got halted. And I didn't want to have to rush an album out and then rush back into theatre. So I thought, you know what, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And um, the minute I finished um, in the theatre, I was like, it's now. It is. It's been now. I'm desperate to get some music out there. <laughs> I'm just desperate. And what's it like when you get back in the studio? You know, because performing every night is such a different yeah. beast, you know, because you are it's about the audience, it's about what's happening mm-hmm. in that moment. Uh, are you a real perfectionist when you get to be in the studio and kind of, you know, just take care of every little thing? I, oh God, I'll be honest with you. I go in, I'll smash out like two or three <laughs> vocals. I'm like, right, that'll do. Thanks, T. I'm out. <laughs> that's me when it comes to the vocals. I mean, I'm more particular when it comes to everything else, but my vocal, I'm like, ah, oh, that'll do, that'll work. <laughs> but, well, because it won't just do. It's amazing. And like, it struck me that this year you're doing festivals. I know you were, you were at the Mighty Hoopla, you, you headlined yes. second stage. Like, for, for a vocalist like you, what's it like doing an outdoor gig? Because I can't... Do you wreck your voice doing an outdoor gig? No, um, I have these wonderful things, you know, the I, the um, IEMs, the um, in-ear monitors, which keep my voice nice and safe because uh, I can hear myself clearly. But for me, I love being on stage. I love festivals because it's not your audience. It's people who have come from all over to see whoever, you know, a lot of, yeah. a lot of different people. And it's my job to kind of turn them so I like to watch that turn happen and in my head I'm like I see you I see you you're coming over to my side you're you're in my church now and I am the preacher and I will convert you and uh, yeah that that's my mindset when I get on stage I just have a good time really um, and and hopefully the audience have a good time with me I make them have a good time no, because that is, it is it, really interesting, that, isn't it? Where people haven't come to see you. <laughs> but suddenly, <laughs> it's, it's everything. But people can come to see you because you're doing your biggest ever UK tour. Uh, when does it, it start? Later this year? So, yeah, it starts um, mid-October. So I kick off in lovely Reading um, and go all over and uh, end up at the Palladium in London. Um, so I'll be on the road for, for a month. Um, it should be great, though. It'd be really, really great. I just and it love, must be, love it. It must be really gratifying mm. for you because it's it's nearly sold out. I think. Yes. Yeah. It's it's just a few little seats at the back somewhere. But yeah. don't worry, my voice will stretch. You will hear me. <laughs> Still oh, get yes. the tickets because you know <laughs> you won't miss. Trust me. You know, my voice will not miss people. Yeah. Because are there are there people that you started out with who have mm. kind of fallen by the wayside? Because it strikes me about you that you're one of the, you're so kind of pragmatic you're going to go okay that's not happening i'm going to do this i'm going to do da, da, da. Mm-hmm. you've never you've never kind of gone off the path you've been beverly knight i am a performer doesn't matter what i'm doing i'm going to do it absolutely driven driven um 
I do. You know what? It's a shame when I see people who are really, really talented, really, really brilliant, and for one reason or another, they're they're not around anymore, or they're doing things, but they haven't got like a a great big spotlight on them. So I I count my blessings. To be fair, I I have kind of just stuck to my guns when it comes to to music and and performance in general. And I've been lucky enough to have people kind of embrace what I do um, and come on board, and, and especially in theatre because. You know, people could have been like, oh, she's rubbish, we're not going to do it. We're, we don't want to, you know, she can sing, but can she really act? Um, but folk have really, really embraced that side of me. And I think the one hand has washed the other and it's yeah. really helped me to to just keep going and, and keep moving forward. So I'm, I'm grateful for it all. And Beverly, when it comes to, you know, new music... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, do you kind of wait for things to arrive in your lap? Are you very proactive? Do you write? Do you kind of collaborate with people? Mostly I've written my my entire career. I've written my songs um, with a couple of covers thrown in there for good measure. But this album, totally different. I've been so busy with theatre and I didn't want to write an album because I had to write. Um, and, you know, in case all the songs turned out to be really, really rubbish. <laughs> and so I was like, We're not, I'm not going to do that. I was like, well, you know what? There are great songwriters on this earth. Um, let me have them kind of come to me with songs and let's see see what's happening. So um, went to LA, um, met with some writers over there and met with writers, you know, homegrown here. Um, so what I've ended up with is an array of songs which are just really, really great, written by really talented people, some of which I'm like, I could never have written myself. The single I would never have come up with myself. That's just because it's a bit of a different sound for me. Um but, you know, still kind of fits me. You know, once I got my voice around it, I was like, yeah, 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 this this works. So I kind of pulled the whole project together. But, um, yeah, for the first time in my life, it's not me doing all the writing. I've only written a couple of things. And, and yet you're right, though, because that sounds like you. It sounds like every <laughs> yeah. night singing from her heart. Yeah. If I can't relate to something, then I can't. I just can't get with it, you know what I mean? I have to, it has to resonate with me, whether it's come from from my brain or somebody else's brain, um, you know, I'm just doing a straight cover. I've got to connect with it. The minute I can, then I'm, you know, I can I can do it. Because I think my job as a, as, a, as a performer, as an artist, is to tell you the truth. But if I don't believe it myself, I'm never going to be able to achieve that. So, um, and I really got behind this song, you know. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Do you think that's why that kind of connection to songs is that why you've been so successful as a as a stage performer as an actor I'd, I'd like to think so I when I stand on stage what matters to me is that um the story I'm telling you you know you believe it and you, so I have to believe it first um so that I can you know interpret it the best way I can whether I'm singing it or whether I'm I'm acting it whatever it might be um the 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 kind of the work starts with me first and then audiences will come on side the minute you think oh she's faking it then <laughs> it's gone you've lost it Ed, tell me this uh, you've got the the album coming out at the end of september then you've got yes. the the tour uh, what have you got after that is are you got your eyes set on any juicy roles any performances or are you redoing anything well the, the i'll be honest the scripts are coming thick and fast. I'm so flattered. It's like, oh, my God. Um, the next thing I'm doing is a little short spell, which is guaranteed, a little short spell in Sister Acts. I'm doing that again. Um, oh, fabulous. Which is, which is just so much fun. It's yeah. just it's just a really, really good laugh. So I'll be doing that from um, March to June of next year in, in town in, in at the Dominion Theatre. Um, and then after that, God knows, because there's so many scripts that I'm looking at and that have come through that um, I'm just going to see which one kind of lands, which one works. So, well, yeah. which, whatever, whatever it is, come back and tell us about it. I uh, will. The single is last one on my mind. The album is the fifth chapter. Uh, thank you so much, Beverly Knight. Take care of yourself. You too. Take care. That's us for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. And make sure you're up to date with all of our goings on at Virgin Radio UK on all of our socials. I'll be chatting to you very soon.
Bye bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.